This is exactly right. Children and grown-ups, really, to be curious about um, their own senses, to be curious about the things that they're experiencing, to be more mindful and to be present in the things that they're consuming, whether that is food, which is what we're specifically talking about, or just content in general, you're more likely to make better decisions for yourself if you're if you are open to the idea of going, well, why does it taste like this? Why does it feel like this? Why does it smell like this? You go one step further to any one of those questions and the world just opens up tremendously. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host. And let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. And that mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. Further, we believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is titled Helping Picky Eaters with our guest, Sarah Thomas. Sarah is the co-founder and chief imaginator for Kalamata's Kitchen, a global franchise helping kids learn about cultures through adventures with food. She's authored the Kalamata book series with renowned chefs, developed the Taste Bud Travel Guide, hosted live tasting events for kids across the U.S., and attracted celebrity taste buds from everywhere. She recently launched a free kitchen exploration passport to help kids to help keep kids adventuring in the kitchen during this pandemic. Sarah spent her childhood surrounded by good food, books, and entertainment, and she holds a pre-med degree as well as literature and politics and a master's degree in English Renaissance Literature. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, speaking of adventures, let's start with your adventure to being the chief imaginator of Kalamata's Kitchen and and your journey to this, this area of interest and passion. Sure. Um, I, it's a sort of winding road, so I hope that's okay. Um, I, uh, I grew up um, the child of South Indian immigrants. Uh, I grew up in, in southwestern Pennsylvania, though. I was born and raised in a small town there. And um, I, it wasn't uh, a hugely diverse area, so um, I, my, I really centered myself, my identity in uh, my family's Indian culture and the way that sort of fit in with, uh, with the, the world around me. Um, my mom and my dad were um, are tremendous cooks and entertainers. Um, and I, I know that, you know, I grew up sort of loving two things, which were food, um, Mm -hmm. and reading. Uh, so I could often be found sitting, uh, we had a pretty big open kitchen. I could often be found reading at the table or, or sometimes under the table, um, whenever as, and my mom just cooked all the time. So some of my earliest, earliest formative, uh, memories are of the sounds and the smells of the kitchen. Um, and they really provide this beautiful color and context for a lot of my memories. Um, and I left there and went to college to intending to be pre-med. I ended up doing um, literature politics 
working in between undergrad and grad school in a school in India for intellectually disabled children. Um, mm. I then pursued my master's degree in literature because I had this drive to, to teach. Um, but as I finished it, realized it wasn't the, the kind of teaching I wanted to do. So came back to do medicine again. And while I was while I was starting that process over with a post back, I also decided to start working in restaurants just because I wanted to, um, because it seemed fun, uh, and I loved food. And in in restaurants, I started as a bartender um, in Pittsburgh. And uh, in in restaurants, I sort of discovered what I was actually good at, which was retaining a huge amount of knowledge, translating it to people um, in a way that was comfortable and fun and exciting uh, for them. So I loved, Mm -hmm. I I suddenly realized I could like create experiences for people through food. And that's when I, you know, this sort of hospitality bug bit me, bit me hard. And I dove headfirst into the um, most academic part of the industry that I could identify, which was wine. I studied um, I decided to become a sommelier, and I, I, uh, I'm now an advanced sommelier in the Court of Master Sommeliers. I have been in the, I was in the restaurant industry for about ten years, um, five of which were spent at La Bernardin in New York City, um, which is a three Michelin star restaurant, very wine focused, very, um, you know, fine dining. And that's when I met my business partner Derek Wallace, uh, who we became immediate friends because we bonded over our shared loves of, of food and travel and, and what food had meant for us in our lives. Um, and he came to me with this idea uh, while I was working at La Bernadette about, he said, what if we could, what if we could create a character that could take children on these adventures um, and be the character that connected children to the world, to the medium of food, but from their perspective, do you think, mm do you think that's a good idea? Do you think? And I was like, yeah, I think that's a really good idea. So, so what you're telling me is you, you just came up with my dream job, something I couldn't have possibly imagined doing for myself. Cause I just, I hadn't considered that angle. Um, food and books, and food and, books yeah. and, and teaching and, mm-hmm. and storytelling and, and creating experiences. Um, and so he always, he likes to joke that he had to beg me on this phone call to be part of it, to help him build it. And I, that is so far from the truth. Um, it was, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait he, to be part yeah. of it. He had you at hello, as they say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and so from that point on, we've been together, we've been sort of, um, building this, building this brand, building this, these characters, building these stories, creating great partnerships, creating experiences for children. Um, and it's a, it's a very fast moving train. (laughs) It's, it's a lot has happened very quickly Mm -hmm. and I, I am thrilled about it. What, so what, what are the, any of the surprises of what's happened so quickly in terms of response and what's, and what's, what's working and connecting? Yeah, I mean, for specific, we what we've heard um, time and time again in some of the uh, meetings that we've had with with partners, such as our current partners, like Imagine Entertainment, who are, who are producing our animated series um, coming up, and uh, Penguin Random House, who are you know obviously global leaders um, in publishing. And what we've heard in, in meetings with people, partners like them, is that they they look at what we've produced in a short amount of time, and they say, "You guys, this just doesn't happen." Um, the the it's the speed at which we've been able to enact a lot of the things that we've wanted to do, such as creating tasting experiences around the country for children, such as releasing three books in under two years, um, such as connecting with some of the professional um, taste buds, as we call them, in the food world, like um, Padma Lakshmi and Chrissy Teigen uh, and Eric Repair. Um, it's, it's all, I think, a testament to the fact that people really connect with the message and the heart of Kalamata's Kitchen, 
um, which is really centered. And this is why I really love your intro and your podcast, because it's really centered around children becoming curious, compassionate and courageous citizens of the world um, and being able to share that voyage and that experience of, um, of understanding with their, with their parents. And uh, so timely with everything that's going on in the world now uh, about compassion and awareness um, and change, right? And creating change and 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 through food and culture, right? So what? So tell us about, you know, how how do the kids? I tell us about the characters, you know, the key character, then how they identify through these stories that gives them this increased awareness and love. Sure. Well, what we know, um, and you know, what we can all observe is that kids learn, we all learn through stories, but, um, kids particularly learn through stories where characters really speak to them. And so our characters, our central characters, um, are Kalamata herself, who is this, uh, again, curious, courageous, compassionate little girl who has a huge appetite for adventure, um, on her, every, the way she experiences the world is through, um, all of her senses. So the scents and the flavors and the sights and, and even the mm. textures um, of food really uh, excite her and they, they awake her imagination. And in her imagination, she can go anywhere. She can be transported by the power of her own imagination um, with the prompt of a, a beautiful uh, sensory experience with food to anywhere in the world. She meets people, she tastes food, she smells things, she experiences life um, through this medium. And along uh, uh, her sidekick on all of these adventures is her stuffed alligator pal, Al Dente, um, who has a voracious appetite for all things um, and often finds himself getting into very silly situations. Um, and what we found is that kids... Uh, kids just, they look at them and first of all, they're just, they're just really, <laughs> I know I'm, you know, I'm a little biased obviously, but they're sure, just sure. really cute characters. Mm -hmm. They're just mm -hmm. really cute. Um, you know, Kamada has this big, beautiful hair and big eyes and a, and a sort of like mischievous little smile on her face all the time. And, and, um, and Al Dente, you know, if you page through the books, you'll see him sort of sneaking off with armfuls of snacks. And one of the most fun things to do for kids is to like find what Al Dente is doing on each page. And so, you know, to get back to the, the question is how do kids connect with this? They just, kids love stories. Kids love characters. Mm -hmm. Kids love characters who are doing fun, silly things, um, who aren't, overtly teaching them any lessons, right? Like a kid can smell a lesson coming from a mile away. Um, but oftentimes just seeing Kalamata trying something new for the first time is enough to get a kid to say, you know what? I think I'll try that for the first time too. And it's not because Kalamata said I should, it's just because she did it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there's a, there's a spread in our first book where Kalamata is experiencing what a pink guava is for the first time. Um, and the first story is essentially, essentially about making a cake with a meringue frosting on top. And the feedback that we got from parents who read that book is that, that page where she has her big eyes in like right behind a, a beautiful illustrated uh, piece of pink guava. Mm -hmm. uh, every single, every single kid latches onto that page. And rather than making the cake, they all want to try a guava. And I'm like, huh. well, there you go. We're getting them there to, to try and make healthier decisions for themselves. And, and we didn't even really set out to do it that time, but it yeah. really made me think for yeah. future books. <laughs> yes. So in terms of, I have a taste bud question for you. Um, it seems it's in my experience in working with our clients and then also raising my own kids who were also picky eaters is that do you think do we have an increase in picky eaters you know versus the earlier generations like is this a phenomenon and and what do you make of it well you know i know how i 
grew up, which is that I didn't really have a ton of choice about what I was eating. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I don't know if that's like specifically a cultural thing or my parent thing, but I, when I tried to explain the concept of picky eaters to my mom, she was like, I don't understand. I just don't, Mm -hmm. what do you mean they don't eat? things like you, you put the food in front of them they eat it she just didn't get it because we just weren't yeah. we didn't grow up that way and so you know you I can only use my own experience here I'm not a parent I just happened to be a kid who did experience the world this way and, and was excited to try new things simply because I think this is this is what I believe very firmly is that the way my parents presented things to me and is is was really important um you know they sort of there was never i don't remember a moment where my parents would say okay this is new and different and you might not like it and it might be a little spicy and it might be they, they never prefaced anything they were like here's dinner <laughs> um and then i you know i i liked or didn't like it but i didn't it wasn't i didn't have strong stances that are like i just won't eat these things and i do think that a lot of that um, came from the way ideas were pre- presented. So one of the things we like to say is that we don't really believe in picky eaters per se. We just wonder whether perhaps the pers- if the perspective were flipped a little bit on how the things were presented to children, they might not have the um, sort of immediate reaction of, well, it's unfamiliar, I don't want it. Um, and certainly, you know, we don't know that the, our character's or stories can like immediately make your kid want to eat broccoli. But we do know, what we do know is that presenting some of these things around, um, rather than focusing on, say, a specific food, um, flipping the perspective on just the adventure of trying something new has been really effective in the events that we've done and the engagement that we've had with our characters. Hmm. Yeah, so it's it's a different approach, right? It's, uh, hey, Kalamata and Aldente are, they're, they're on this adventure. Doesn't this look good? As opposed to, you need to eat this, or why don't you yeah. eat this? Yeah, it is a little bit. And and also, again, the emphasis is not really on the food itself. It's on the fact that Kalamata tries something. It's the adventure of trying. And adventures are fun. So trying is fun. Um, and so, again, it's, it's, ne- it's I try really hard. I mean, I, I used to do this, honestly, with adults in a way, um, when I would be trying to get somebody to try a kind of wine or a pairing that was outside of their comfort zone. It's just like mm-hmm. a presentation of like, the idea of being adventurous is is an attractive one. Um, and particularly for children, when you have a, a role model that you like, that is also advent, like that's one of her defining traits. Um, it's, it seems to be an attractive perspective for a lot of kids. Um, one of the things that we do in the, along those lines is we create passports for children um, where we, you know, and, and when we were able, and we will in the future go to um, sort of cities around the, the country and do tasting events, we give each child a passport and in the passport are, different vendors who are presenting different kinds of different little bites of food. And we tell kids if they just try it, they don't have to like it. They, they, they can tell us if they didn't like it or didn't, they just have to try the food. And if they try it, they get a stamp. If they fulfill, they get, they fill and finish all their stamps in their passport, they get a prize. Um, you know, and we just sort of, and we're like, all right, that's it, you know, go. So we send them on their little food tasting adventure. And what we found is that by not making a big deal about them, the foods themselves that they're trying, but also saying, hey, we're just sending you on this adventure to go and try stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. want to do it. It puts the agency in their hands and there's no adult being like, you have to try this because you have to try it. It's the agency and the idea is theirs. As soon as the idea is theirs, it's like, like parents, literally their jaws just drop when they see their kids eating what they eat (laughs) at some of our events. So I'm interested in 
you know, so a few words that you've talked about. One is to nurture curiosity, and the other is compassion. So first off, I love the idea of um, our kids being curious, right? It kind of open up instead of being closed off and restricted and scared and and all of that stuff. And and draw the parallel for us to compassion. How where how do we get? How do we increase compassion through food? Well, I think when you it's such a big question, honestly, um, yes. because I think there's so much opportunity, first of all, um, for food just as a medium for, for kids and grownups alike to be transporting, um, to introduce us to um, not just new flavors and sensor- sen- sensorial sort of experiences, but the people behind them. Um, and I think that that, is a, that itself is sort of a, a gateway to understanding um, cultures that are not your own, cultures that you may not have been ex- uh, exposed to as a child or as a grown-up before um, interacting with this food. Um, You know, the stories of people who might seem on the surface uh, so different from you, you start to, when you start to dive into, when you have this curiosity around food, you start to dive into the fact that the things you grew up with, no matter where you grew up or how you grew up, there's another culture that seems completely foreign to yours right now that probably has very, very similar, um, very similar, you know, sort of, textures, foods, mindsets behind what's presented, the idea of comfort food. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And, and a sort of bigger level idea behind that is that I think just encouraging children and grownups really to be curious about um, their own senses, to be curious about the things that they're experiencing, to be more mindful and to be present in the things that they're consuming, whether that is food, which is what we're specifically talking about, or just content in general, you're more likely to make better decisions for yourself if you're if you are open to the idea of going, well, why does it taste like this? Why does it feel like this? Why does it smell like this? You go one step further to any one of those questions and the world just opens up tremendously. Um, and it goes back to what I said earlier about that being then the gateway to learning about the stories, lives, cultures, traditions of other people. Um, I mean, the possibilities there are just endless. Even if you ask just mm-hmm. one of those questions, why does it smell like this? Well, it has nutmeg in it. Where, what is nutmeg? What does the tree look like? Where does it grow? What are the things, like, where is this traditionally used? I mean, it's, it's really, truly an endless, beautiful dive into, into a body of knowledge. Yeah, and I, that's a great way of looking at it. I mean, the, the going to the depth and the inquisitiveness of where do these things come from and why do they have these textures and why do they have these tastes and why do we like some things and not like other things and what does that say about who we are as individuals and can we change you know as parents like what is something that you didn't like you know i know for me i hated eggs i hated eggs when i was growing up i love eggs now right i don't know what happened but but it's not like we're stuck with the palate right i mean your whole point is so true it can all change. It's it's so true. And I'll share a personal story that is very funny to a lot of people because of where I ended up working. Um, but when I was growing up, I was sort of, and this is this is what I is a great example of perspective, is this is the one place where my parents did sort of lead me into disliking something that I end up really liking. Um, growing up in India, you don't eat you know, either meat or fish that is raw or undercooked in any way, right? It's just not in part of the cuisine Mm -hmm. usually. Um, And so even growing up here, I remember my parents being incredibly wary of sushi and sashimi Mm -hmm. and like beef tartare and stuff like that, that um, 
they were just like, don't eat it. You might die. I was like, all right. I prob-. And, and my mom would be like, you're not going to like the texture of it anyway. It's, you know, it's slimy or something like that, you know? And I just remember being like, all right, I'm not going to like it. And I never tried it until I went to college. And that's really wild to a lot of people because obviously I ended up working at La Bernadette, which is like one of the world's most famous seafood restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not like fish um, unless it was like fried with a ton of spices blanketing it. That's the only way I liked it. Um, like if it was an Indian preparation, I would eat any kind of fish, but I would not, I would, I was very wary of it otherwise. And mm-hmm. that's a, to me, a great example of like, just, you know, parents often not realizing the unconscious biases that they pass on to their children. Both of my parents for the record now love sushi, <laughs> but, um, so they, they figured it out too. But, mm-hmm. um, those things are really, I think very often unwittingly and unknowingly and consciously passed on by parents. Um, and yes. then it takes so much yes. work to get over it when you get older. I had to work to make myself like it. And I, and I totally. do now. Totally. It work. And, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. To like and, it. and that great message for all of our listeners is because, of course, one of the one of the main missions of uh, our show is about increasing awareness and us being aware of what we are passing down intentionally and unintentionally to our kids. So, yeah, any comment about food? Um it it sticks, you know, and you know, and I want to draw a little parallel here. To, I mean, or make a little leap here in terms of what we say. It's also this food and body image have become so connected. Do you have, you know, how do you, how do you think about how to create the connection with food and healthy body images, given what's a lot of the media that, that I think does the opposite these days? That's a great question. Um, I'm certainly not an expert um, in these fields, but my, my personal feeling is that, again, what I said before about children being, um, if they're engaged in what they're consuming, they're more likely to make better decisions for themselves. I feel like mm-hmm, there is a, I've, mm-hmm. there's a lot of research around that. Um, it's, you know, dealing with food and, and really dealing with a lot of other things as well. It's when kids are more conscious, when they're more in tune with, um, with their own senses, they can more naturally understand and listen to their own bodies. And also that curiosity again, engages them in order to make those better decisions for themselves. And I do think that that's really important for food. Um, in terms of presenting stories and characters where, where that is, um, you know, where I just, I feel like that is, we try so hard to just translate the mm-hmm. joy and positivity, um, that surrounds food in so many different aspects. That's, and I do think that that's emotional. And I do think that that's physical because when you speak about food nourishing, it's not just for, it's not just for, you know, sustenance, right? Food is, Food is comfort, but food is joy and food is love. Um, and when when people feel kind of love and energy through food and through stories around food, um, I I think that that does lead to overall health. Um, in terms of presenting, mm-hmm. um, you know, the ideas, I I think a healthy curiosity about all of these things is what leads to to good decisions. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of as a, and I yeah. I think about specifically how you know people like Anthony Bourdain shaped my generation of, mm-hmm. of, um, of eaters, right? Is it like mm-hmm. he dove so deeply, not just into what he was eating, which, um, but the, the people behind it. And I think that when you start to see positive examples of people all over the world who look completely different from you, 
engaging with their food in the way that they do and then further with their families, you start to realize that there are so many beautiful, healthy examples to be found in real life that I think are so much more interesting and engaging and 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 meaningful than a lot of what's portrayed in the media. So one of the mm-hmm. things we try to do also is center the idea of your heroes don't have to be celebrities and athletes. They certainly can be and musicians, but food gives you the opportunity to see leadership and team building and, um, and positive examples in the people who are just feeding you, right? Like imagine how powerful it would be if you started to see the positive, like the positive examples of the people feeding you lunch at school, um, how they look, how they translate their, their energy, the people who are serving you, who you, um, your food in restaurants, how they look, they, you know, it's, it's a much more diverse, um, in every sense of the word, uh, example of what people look like and how they, and how they behave around food and with food and through food. Yeah. It's a, so which you're, it's a broader conversation basically is what you're saying. Cause even as I'm thinking about my next question that I want to ask you is not a broad question. And I, and I think you're going to take it in that direction. And that is, um, you know, a lot of the, um, the advice that people get, parents get about picky eaters, it I'm going to oversimplify in two camps. One is um, make enough, you know, options of food so your child has some choice, right? So they're not forced to eat and anything, but that they have choice to expand their palate and start to mm-hmm. own their decisions. And another one is more like um, old school, like you were raised, you know, like I was raised, which is like this is this is for dinner right? Like, this is what we're having. (laughs) So do you, you know, that that seems too, um, almost too black and white, for lack of a better word, Mm. like too extreme. Um, But I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. You know, it's, it's, it's an it's a really interesting point. And I again, like, I kind of know what I've lived. And then I kind of know what I've seen um, through Kalamata's Kitchen. And I think, you know, there is there is a sort of middle ground in this in that, there are ways if you want to, you know, if, if your way is to introduce a lot of options, you know, I, I know that one of the pieces of advice is to be consistent with reintroducing things. Like if they don't, children's taste buds are so different from adult taste buds. And if they don't like it the first time or even 10 times, doesn't mean they're never going to like it. So, you know, I know that a lot of people have struggled to reintroduce um, foods because they're just like, well, I'm, you know, they feel like they're beating their heads against a wall. Um, and then on the other hand, it's like, well, if I, if I only make one thing and my kid refuses to eat it, then I'm like, what am I starving my kid? You know, and I, I, I really feel for parents who are getting all of these sort of this conflicting advice. Cause I don't know, I, again, I don't have my own children. So I can imagine just that pressure, especially if you didn't grow up being mindful around food and wanting to do that now for your child. I can't, I can imagine that that pressure is just immense. Um, and you know, I think that there's, there are ways that parents can be, um, that can sort of integrate both things, which is to say, for example, that you're going to have this, you know, this oatmeal, for example, for breakfast, and this is what you're going to have, but we're going to stir a a unique spice into it today. And we're just going to, you know, just see what, what happens and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's ways that you can sort of like introduce little things here and there without too much presentation, honestly, to just see to just see what sticks and what doesn't. Because a lot of times I think, again, it goes back to how things are presented to children. If it's like, all right, we're going to try this tonight. Like, I I think that sometimes children are just wary of that. I think, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes they're just like, I just, you know what, that whole, that attitude has made me not want to try it. But just putting something in and just seeing how it goes um, is one thing that we've seen has been really 
honestly very successful because then it leads to like a kid looking at their parent and going, why does it taste like this? This isn't what I thought it was going to taste like. Um, and again, leads to that engagement that we talked about sooner. Um, mm-hmm, so, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm certainly, you know, not an expert in, in terms of the psychology around it. I can just speak to what I've lived and what I've seen, but I've seen that be a, a really successful sort of middle ground for a lot of parents to reach. So basically it all comes back. It all comes back down to this curiosity and the story and and the inquiry and the adventure as a way to open kids up to food. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely believe that. I think that if we can, um, again, going back to that idea of trying things being the real adventure, not the food itself, um, I think that if we can get kids to say that trying things is fun, um, and adventures are fun and trying is an adventure. I think that that is, that's a, that's key. That's core, um, to what mm-hmm. we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. So if you could recommend one thing to the list, the parent listening right now, one thing in terms of for them to focus on, to help their picky eater become less picky over time, what would you say? It's a great question. I mean, for one thing, I guess I would I would encourage people to engage their children in the whys of um, of why they like or dislike certain things. And I think it's equally it's important to talk about both sides of that. Why do you like and why do you dislike certain things? And don't let it, you know. And I, I think when I say engage, I mean, really like, don't let things like, because it's yummy or because it's yucky sort of slide as answers. Um, see if you can engage in things like, well, what does it feel like? Why do you, what do you like about how it feels? Did it crunch? Did it make noises when you ate it? Did it, did it, does the smell remind you of anything? Have you ever seen anything this color before? You know, engaging questions like that, get kids sort of out of the, the easy sort of silos of of yuck and yum. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, Mm -hmm. I really think that that's a, that's a, that engagement is so critical. Um, and I think really effective for a lot of parents and a lot of kids. Nice. And I like that getting outside of the yuck and the yum, right? Like let's expand the conversation. Yeah. And I mean, also one, just to add on really quick to that is like expanding the vocabulary of, of food right outside of yuck and yum is, is really fun. Um, you get to start, you know, you become really creative with the ways that you describe things and it's, it's fun for adults too, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't typically, you can't like taste sunshine, but you know what you're saying if someone says, Oh my God, this, this, this dish is so sunny. And so like introducing the like words and, and feelings and, um, into, into the vocabulary around describing food. Um, I just, it's, it's really fun. It gets kids excited. It's, it's a, it's, it is itself a sort of storytelling device. Yes. Okay. Before you tell us more about your stories and where people can find them, we are going to have the parent footprint moment question. Okay. okay. So tell us about a time that you became more aware of yourself as a person, as a parent, which you are not, or of awareness of your parents and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life. Um, so it's not specifically around a parent relationship. My my parent moment, weirdly enough, it's but it is an adult child relationship mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where the first, the very first time I read Kalmada's Kitchen uh, to a, a a classroom to students, they were and they were about I think five years old um, in this classroom. 
I, there was a little girl also of Indian descent who was sitting in right in front of me and I held up the book and I was trying, I was introducing Kalamata and El Dente and she, she points at the cover and she looks at me and she goes, wow, Kalamata looks a lot like you. (laughs) And I said, no, she looks a lot like you. And her eyes just lit up and Mm. it was so powerful because she's now going to grow up in a time when she's going to see a lot more characters who she can relate to because they look like her. Um, Mm -hmm. and also that she can relate to because of their wonderful character traits. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have that growing up. Um, there were just no, there was no visual representation of characters that looked like me. And I, she was so excited. She kept, she kept turning to her friends and saying, she, did you hear that? She said, she looks like me. And I like barely held it together. Um, while I was reading this book and then I, I left that room and I went outside of the parking lot and I called my mom and I just cried. And it was so, I was just like, I can't believe, I can't, it just like really hit me. I knew that it was important to create a character that kids mm-hmm. that look like me could relate to and see mm-hmm. themselves in. Um, and it like that moment really galvanized for it, it for me. Um, like seeing it in action and furthermore yeah. seeing all the other kids who, you know, primary in that, in that classroom, it was primarily white children. Um, also looking at Kalamata and seeing a, a, a little, it's so important for kids to just see other kids that don't look like themselves also as heroes, friends and inspirations. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was, Oh, it was so I'm like getting emotional just thinking about it. Yeah. I have the, I have the chills. I mean, just to, <laughs> thinking about thinking about being validated I mean, and how um, the dominant culture just experiences, always just experiences that, and and what and and your experience of not having that mirror, and and to be able to give that to someone at such a young age, um, that's just that's awesome. It's awesome. It was beautiful, <laughs> and 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 so impactful for you at at your adult age. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was, I was a mess. I'm still a mess thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's so important. Okay. So Sarah, you have a lot to share with the world. We have the Taste Bud Travel Guide. We have the Kalamata Book Series, um, the Kids Kitchen Gear, and um, the Tasting Tour. Tell us where everyone can find this stuff. Well, I would say your best resource right now is to go to www.kalamataskitchen.com. Um, that's where you'll find all of you know all of the information we have. Our shop as well. We have a lot of really fun free resources for parents, like downloadable versions of our passports. Since um, we're not currently doing our tasting events um, due to closures, but those will those will resume as well, and you'll be able to find information about that on our website as well. And for the sort of really current stuff that we're doing in terms of um, sometimes we do um, like sort of live chats on Instagram and story readings, um, I would say go to our Instagram as well um, and our Facebook. And so that's on both. It's just at Kalamata's Kitchen. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to, to people using, we're, we're, we're continuously adding and building out the resources on our website. And I'm really looking forward to people being able to visit the website and, and really use it as a resource for families. And congratulations on uh, your success. Uh, this you. is such an important topic, and the approach is such a holistic and um, God, it's such a meaningful approach to increasing again compassion, increasing awareness, increasing a palate. And as you say, for if kids can make good decisions now, they're going to be able to make good decisions their entire life. So important. Absolutely. Thank you. 
All right, everyone, that concludes our show with Sarah Thomas about helping picky eaters, a wonderful, holistic, healthy approach. You know the key for all of us is to try to be the person we want our child to become. Our kids are always watching. We need to think about what we're saying, what we're doing, and being intentional and purposeful as much as possible. And of course, being compassionate with ourselves when we find ourselves being human. Check us out at our website, www.parentfootprint.com. Tell others who would want to hear this information about our show. Please subscribe. And as always, ask yourself this guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?